Hey, and welcome to Digital Noir Presents live from PauseFest. We're not actually live today. This is recorded a couple of weeks after the event's finished. Today, we're catching up with Rachel O'Meara, who's a sales executive at Google and author of the very fitting book titled Pause. Uh, I didn't actually get a chance to, to catch up with her at Pause, so we've taken the time to jump on Skype and record this. Throughout the conference, the Digital Noir team was set up on the atrium, overlooking uh, the foyer there at Fed Square and all the happenings that was going on below, having some incredible chats with some really inspiring people. Um, we've been going to Pause for the last four, maybe five years now, and it's been so great to see it grow and the great work that George and his team does are bringing together such an eclectic bunch of creatives and thinkers and thought leaders to um, take some time to actually pause, build connections and, and, and learn and get inspired. So I think it's quite fitting kicking off with Rachel. Um, so let's, let's dive right in. Well, let, let's jump in with pause in a minute. It was, it's, it's such a fitting uh, uh, title for the, you know, for the conference. Did, yeah. did, did George find you or did you find, find George to sort of come I over know. for it? So what happened was I got wind of the pause fest uh, event through a friend, a mutual friend who had been at pause fest the year before Julie Terrell, oh, cool. who was in my network here. So that worked out great. And I applied and got in. Yeah. Worked out. It was like meant to be, I think. That's amazing. I had a chat with her actually at another conference, um, South Start here in Adelaide um, earlier oh, okay. in the year. She's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. She's going to be in my neck of the woods. She's coming here, I think, tomorrow or something. She'll just be in town for a bunch of CEO stuff. So I'll see her hopefully. Your first time down to Australia? It was my second time, okay. but it had been a while. I, I Last time I was there was 2005. Okay. So, man, it's been a big gap. To Melbourne or had you been elsewhere on that trip? I had been to Melbourne, and I, uh, but only three days. It was my first stop, and it was actually a pause I took okay. when I was working at DoubleClick, which was uh, at, a, at the time had a policy that if you worked for seven years, you could get a four-week paid vacation. Nice. And I looked, and I went to New Zealand and Australia, so like it was awesome. Pro- yeah. Proper holiday. Totally. And it was like, oh, I need this so much. Like that was my – that was my second long pause. I've had like three long ones like that. And I was like, there's something going on here. <laughs> and what was your experience like coming back down again? Um, obviously primarily for the, for the event, but I know that you stayed on for the retreat afterwards as well. Yeah, I, I, t- I went to the retreat. So I, I kind of made it an experience in itself. I came a few days early. I had the whole weekend there. It was so nice. It was like 100 degrees and in my hot. Fahrenheit temperatures. I don't know what that is <laughs> Celsius, but it was hot. And I don't remember being that hot before. And then I had the conference and then I stayed and we went to, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting where it was in the South there, the awesome cottages and, uh, was there for the weekend. And then I flew out the Sunday night cause I had to get back. Yeah. It was well, a wonderful. What did you think of the, of the event? What were some of the takeaways for you? I got a lot out of the event and what I liked about it was the, I think what any marks of a strong event are the people that go, so just meeting people, I feel like that's at least any good event is like 50%. And I, I hate the word networking, right? Like, or it's not networking. It's like I'm meeting cool people. Yeah. And uh, that was definitely the case for, for Pause Fest. And then the retreat, you know, I met amazing people there, still in touch with them, trying to help a few people out. Like we're continually networking. You and I met like for two minutes yeah. and you know, <laughs> here I am on the podcast. So I feel like it was a wonderful experience and I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was so good. And the conference itself was great. The content was great. I loved the whole startup thing. And I met the winner of that, that, which was oh, cool. uh, Michael Levin, Emmy. 
this week's really cool. Yeah, I think that the thing, and I, I said this a lot through the chats that we had. So we had, you know, a, a bunch of amazing chats over the three days. But yeah. I think the way George is set up, pause. It is you, there's a lot of connection points, right? So you, it isn't just people yeah. up on stage and 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 you, the audience, sort of sitting there listening. There's there's a chance to get out and and meet people and and for the speakers to do the same. For sure, yeah, and 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 it helped me learn more about what is going on. I learned so much about the startup community in Australia. Being, a, being from being from the U.S., I don't have that insight in those lenses. So mm. I learned a ton, actually, and, and that's what was really cool. Is I just I learned a great depth of what's going on and what what seems to be emerging out of a lot of companies. So it was really cool. I just liked it. <laughs> I want to go again. What is the kind of um, I suppose you know from SF or from the states looking to Australia? I mean, you probably don't think about Australia that much, but what is the kind of perception of Australia and, and what's happening down mm-hmm. here? I suppose with the lens of the tech world or you know that that space. <sighs> Yeah. Well, what, well, well, I think that I'm in Silicon Valley. Okay. So it's like, I'm in like this crazy bubble anyway. Mm. So I think even my perception, it would be different from someone who's in New York, who's in Washington and CS, Washington state and Seattle. Like, I feel like the pockets of the U S in itself are different enough, probably similar to Australia. Yeah. And I think the perception is there is stuff going on. Like there's great companies coming out of there. I think Canva was the most recent one yeah. that I learned about. I had no idea that they were Australian. I use them almost every day. Love them. Yay. Uh, and and uh, so I think the awareness is increasing. And potentially, like, who knows? I know George and I were talking, maybe it comes to the U.S. Maybe PauseFest makes its way to New York mm. one day. No, you didn't hear it from me. But uh, maybe, maybe. maybe. That, that would be amazing. I think the yeah. concept's good. So it's and good. It, do, it does have... It does have sort of its own unique identity, I think. Um, you know, I, I, the oh, yeah. sort of eclectic mix of creative business um, and thinkers, you know, so often, you know, you get quite niche conferences, right? Like you might go to a sort of a, you know, an ad focused conference or, a, mm-hmm. you know, a CRM conference. I mean, this, this is, this is very know. broad. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, what I thought was what I, I, there's a few conferences that I've been in like a flavor of PauseFest, but different. There's world domination summit, which is Chris Gillibo's conference. I don't know if you've heard of it out in Portland, Oregon. And it was similar in that. I think it's really about the community and what you can create together and how you can support each other. So I felt like that total vibe happening in PauseFest, which I thought was just a total way of like a win and, and like a sign of a good conference. I go to conferences all the time that are like industry conferences and they're good, but I don't walk away with that same feeling of, wow, this wowed me and I want more. And like, usually it's like, okay, cool. I learned a few things. And this was more about, I think learning plus the connection. And that's what I think makes it better. (laughs) So you, you work at Google, you were down here talking, not about that though specifically, but about some of the other things that you're interested in. So you've written a book called pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wrote a book called Pause, Harnessing the Life-Changing Power of Giving Yourself a Break. And uh, it's an, it's a book that is actually a story that starts out in my burnout of Google. So it's almost this like, hey, guys, welcome to my life. And I burned out. <laughs> and then the rest of the book is really filled with what I wanted to share, which were tips and tools that I've learned since my burnout, which I think I if I had known any of those, I don't think I would have been in the predicament of feeling so exhausted and, and like a failure. I really felt like I couldn't get anything right. And my mental state was just one of continual tailspins of thinking I sucked. And, uh, the book is filled with, with, uh, research neuroscience and basically like leadership and 
educational theory of research on why intentional shifts in behavior are helpful. And then it talks about like the signs you know you need a pause because I call a pause any intentional shift in behavior. So it's not like it has to be a long-term break or anything. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty comprehensive book and it's, I think, a really practical look at how you could shift so that your life is feeling much more satisfying, fulfilling. When you went through that, that burnout and then sort of trying to come out the other end, how did you sort of find these techniques and tips to, to start, you know, I suppose building and yeah. healing? I made them up. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't make them up. I, uh, I went, I actually, what ended up happening was I did go back to Google. So I looked in those, I took three months unpaid leave which was a gift. I totally realized that. And not a lot of people have that opportunity, but I knew if I looked for a role right away, I think I would have found myself in a really similar predicament. So I kind of had that instinct of knowing I need to need to chill out a little bit. Mm. And so I did come back to Google and I started hosting speakers, authors at Google. So if you've ever seen the talks at Google channel, which has 900,000 followers and all kinds of people speak on it. And one of them was a, a woman who I'd been introduced to who had a school for emotional intelligence with her husband in Chicago in the US and she invited me to a weekend training and turns out I went to the weekend I signed up for the class I signed up for more classes and I learned these tools so they're based in emotional intelligence which are really the self-awareness tools of being more in tune with how you feel and how you can read a room and being a better leader so you can influence more and it all really is honed in on knowing how you're feeling. And so that's, I think, the crux of the book. And by feeling, I just mean, what is going on with you? You know, do you feel exhausted? And if so, well, let's take a look at that. And why might that be? Or maybe I don't know how I feel. Or maybe there's a fear, like a huge anxiety that I'm continually like looking at with my life that I haven't really honestly decided what to do about and things like that. So I learned these at a school called the Right Foundation. Cool. And I've been in the industry that, that you're in and that a lot of our listeners are in, I suppose, um, you know, either, either working in, you know, the tech space or, you know, running their own businesses, you, you often find that you're running, right? You're sort of running 12, 15 hours a day and, and you don't often take time away from that. Yeah. Like it's always at the front of your mind. The, um, right. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think one of the big themes of pause in the book is that we have a choice. And as, as people every day, there's choices moment by moment we make. And this is an existentialist principle here, which is a foundation of my teachings in that I don't have to go 12 to 15 hours. I could create some boundaries or work in a way that serves me. Maybe I divide up my days differently and all of those things. But how do I know unless I actually am conscious of what I can change and then choose differently? And that's where the rubber meets the road, I guess. Do you think there's been a shift in the last sort of five years or so of, of people sort of starting to take this on? Yeah, I, I do. And I actually started writing the book when I returned from my break, which was 2012, okay. right in the beginning of 2012. And it took me five years to write the book. Wow. I was working full time. Like that was the thing. I knew I couldn't go full tilt. So I just wrote it on my schedule. I did a couple hours on the weekend. It did take discipline, but I remember thinking, and this might have been now three or four years ago, like, who's going to read this? Like, <laughs> it's about mindfulness and like, that's such a creepy, weird topic right now. And like, nobody does that. And here we are, it's 2019. And it's like the hottest topic there is mm. <laughs> right now. And people want to learn more or they think that that's the solution to things. And it may or may not be. Uh, so 
so I think there's been a big shift. And I think what's really interesting is it's up to each of us to make the shift. It's not like we're getting told to do that. And society tells us, hey, work the 12 to 15 hours, get it done, yeah. do it. Right. Like we know that that's what's familiar and it's always on. And the reality is that is not sustainable. And uh, I heard a woman, I can't remember, it was the woman who did a uh, talk at PauseFest on Generation Z, and she talked about thrive staining. <laughs> so it's like, how do you thrive sustainably? So she came up with this word, thrive staining. <laughs> I made a mental note of that because it's not enough to sustain anymore. It's just not. And like, how do you really thrive? And the key to me is intentional shifts in behavior. You have to create the space you have to decide what works for you. You have to create the boundaries. And a lot of people, I know I did this too when I was freaking out in my job and burning out. I was like, I can't do that. I got to be on. My boss is expecting these emails at 3 a.m. on a Sunday. And all of that was true. But the reality was, was it really worth it? And did it really matter? And the answer was probably not. I probably could have. And she told me it didn't matter. She's like, you don't need to respond to these right away. I just like to do my emails on Sundays and things like that. And so just, I think it's just a matter of of of, um, of knowing what works for you and then shifting it. And, and I that's think not easy. the proof's in the pudding a bit as well. I think I've been guilty and probably slammed to a certain extent in the past of maybe talking about some of these topics that you're talking about, about, about needing to take a break and about, you know, not wanting my team to be, you know, working long hours for the sake of it. But then I suppose as a business owner, I fall into the trap of, you know, waking up early and answering emails early and all through the night and um, over the last, I suppose, 18 months, I sort of really had to, and I think, I think you're right. It is that intentional shift in behavior. It's not like, well, I, you need to sit down and say, right, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sleep with my phone next to my bed. Right. That seems like a simple thing to do, but that's something I did for you know, four years and I would wake up three or four times in the night and check emails. Yeah. Right. And so you create rules. And so one of the things I, I like to tell people is you can create daily pauses and, or digital device pauses. So there's many mm. types of pauses you can have. And I, what I like is digital device pausing, I feel like is the number one way we could start because we all have a phone typically and we could do one thing that change our habits, yet it is difficult. We get wired and tethered and I know I'm, I'm as guilty as, as the next person. Mm. My brain works the same way as yours, right? And I want to reward myself by the little chimes I hear. But if I can plug my phone in in the hallway here and not sleep with it in my in my in my room, how much, like the chances of me getting up are much lower. Now some of the newer models have awesome ways yeah. that you can uh, set your preferences so that it just turns everything off. You could be watching at 11 PM and all of a sudden your videos go dark, uh, because you've set it up that way. And it's up to you to really choose to really can, you know, honor that, but it's possible. And it is, and it is possible. And I think that, you know, that this massive shift that sort of happened with technology in the last, you know, 15 years that, that we've just had sort of, you know, some of us have been brought up with that. Some of us have sort of just, we've all accepted it really, but I don't think we really fully grasped what we were bringing into our lives. And now we're sort of going, waking up a bit and going, okay, well, we actually have to manage this. Yeah, exactly. And the question that's coming to my mind right now is what's the price you're willing to pay? Mm. You know, like what's the, what, that's super theoretical, but also I think it's a good question for each of us to know, like, what is the price that you're willing to pay? Is it worth disrupting my dinner if a phone call comes? Uh, is it worth getting up at 3 a.m. and then not going to check my email? Like, like then everyone's going to have a different answer. But when you think of it like that and, and then experiment and decide what works for you, you may be surprised. You may end up thinking that something wasn't possible or thinking it wouldn't work. And all of a sudden, you know, Sunday's out as a nature pause, walk around the block. You feel good and you didn't need the phone after all and stuff like that. 
What's your take on like the, the four day work week and I suppose uh, reducing hours that we're at work, um, but potentially increasing productivity at the same yeah. time? Yeah, yeah, I'm all for it. And, and I think we're not there yet as a culture. No. And I don't, I'm curious to hear what it's like in Australia, especially like remote workers. And that's the yeah. case for, for what, I, what I'm aware of is um, like tomorrow is Friday for me and I'm not going into the office. I'll work from home. But that's my choice. Sure. Um, I'm still working though. But I think, I think it's great. But it's, it's about the boundaries that you create. So if you're willing to work 10 hours a day, Monday through Thursday, awesome. But you got to get the buy-in from your support from your network and your boss and maybe that's the way you work and they all work anyway. Um, but I think as long as you get the work done, then you're good to go. But it just depends on the role, right? If you're in a 24 seven customer support line, you can't not work on a Friday or someone's got to work that shift or something. So there's, there's things to be made out, but I, I'm a big proponent of working efficiently and it's not about showing up and clocking in because your boss is there and like that doesn't serve anybody and their boss probably is watching, but probably doesn't care as much as you think they care. And if you had that conversation, it would work and you could change it up if you wanted to. Yeah, and I think it's something that we're trying to educate our team. And I think probably just, you know, the, the general community at large, like I know that I work better in the morning. Like I, I wake up early every day and from like, let's say five thirty <laughs> until 10, like I'm, that's my brain's on. I feel good. I get, I smash stuff out and I'm quite focused. And, and really from then, you know, Slack starts up and email starts up and I just have so many inputs that I, my, my concentration just kind of goes to, to shit really. And then, so the afternoon, you know, I, I don't think I should be doing deep work. So I'm, I'm trying to re- rearrange my schedule so that it fits into that. And obviously yeah. it, it doesn't always fly, you know, with client meetings and, you know, other, other demands on your time. And, that, and that's another thing where it's that real intentional shift. You sort of have to say, no, well, this, this is how I work and sort of just force it almost. And it, it, it does take time to do it, but I think you, you can see the benefits if you actually figure out and it's, it is that sort of self-knowledge when when do I work best it might be the opposite I think some of some of my team probably work better at night so it, if you want to do mm-hmm. that and the output's going to be there great like that doesn't really that doesn't that doesn't bother me yeah I I hear you and I think it's about choosing what you know as your natural performance cycles and we're yeah. different all of us are kind of wired differently and different hours of the day that you might feel more productive and and I think that's really valid it's a great point and you can't disregard that when you're thinking about it it was interesting that talk. I think it was was it Stephanie from Vice that was it was it the report on um, Gen Z? Was that was that the talk? You yeah, were, yeah, that was it. Stephanie, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah great. Um, yeah, that, that's really interesting. So, I mean, we've been through quite a lot of um, just in marketing. So, what you know, how to market to millennials, but then Gen Z is this kind of new, um, a little bit of an unknown. And it's interesting because they they're, they're true digital natives, right? It'd be interesting yeah. to see how what their take is on how they can you know find those pause spaces and if, and if they're going to be as wide potentially as millennials are because I think millennials actually find it quite difficult um, myself included to to pull themselves away from it but maybe Gen Z might have a different take on it it would be interesting to see yeah and what I learned from that talk and I'm I'm really excited for Gen Z I love that you said Gen Z Gen Z I'll call them Z <laughs> and I am because the what I took away from learnings from that talk was there, there are, there are digital natives, and then they also live through the financial crisis mm. of 2008. So they know, like, they're in a, as a whole, right? Generally speaking, there's a lot of 
time and uh, value associ- value associated with time and money. Like where are my where am I putting my energy towards, and is it worth it? Like I think that is so cool. It's not a concept most people know innately, unless right. there has been a crisis or something tragic. Uh, so so I uh, kudos to Gen Z. I'm excited that you're coming on board and working in the workforce because uh, not only are you digitally savvy and you get it there's so much you have to offer. And, and, uh, and I see that, like, I, I, I actually, uh, my assistant is from, is Gen Z as well. And I just am like thriving as well, learning more from him and he's learning from me and it's this mutual way to, to help each other. I like that. It's interesting if you like think about time as a, as a commodity and you really value time. Cause I think, you know, we, we were sort of brought up in this world of, you know, a 40 hour work week and whatever, whatever happens, that's what's there. Right. And that, that's the time you have to work. So go to work eight hours, and I think a lot of totally that that's just the mind state. But if you're thinking, <laughs> right, I can I, I I can get this much done in three hours, and it's going to be you know peak performance, and then I'm going to spend three hours doing you know if if you start thinking about it like that, and I think that's where the four you know four day work week or, and other sort of flexible working arrangements become become really beneficial if you if you think about time as sort of that really valuable commodity. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, there's a technique that I've adopted to uh, basically it's called it's called time chunking. So you can create 15 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute blocks. And ideally it's like you compress the time. You, you literally like put a timer on your phone. You have a charm, you have the bell goes off at 15, but you say what you're going to get done in that 15 minutes. And and then you're just cranking, Mm. but it's, it's like self-induced stress, but it's at the level that's optimal. It's not overstressed and it's not the, Oh, I'll just get it done because I got the day to do it. And it's remarkable what you get done in those time chunks. And I'm, I'm reluctant to do it because I know I'm going to have to show up and produce (laughs) as like, you know, that's the fear I have. But then when I do it, I did it on the weekend because I do a lot of stuff. Like I do a new my full job and how I don't burn out is that I, I structure my time so I know I can take those breaks and I know I can feel satisfied and follow my deeper desires and things like that. But yeah, just having 15 minutes and, and going through two or three of those, I can do a lot, whereas it might take me traditionally two to three hours. So we work with the like Pomodoro technique, which is essentially yeah. essentially that sort of similar kind of uh, concept. So 20 minute chunks where you say, right, I'm going to you know, focus on one task for 20 minutes, take a five minute break and then, and then get back into it. And, you know, to be honest, I don't do it as much as I should. When I do do it, I'm always so amazed at how much work I get done because you're right. Like I'll start working on one thing and it's maybe a 20 minute job, but you had a couple of Slack messages in there, a phone call, an email, a chat about something. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Now it's, you know, it's, it's two hours later and you're sort of just finishing it up. Yeah. And that's where the intention comes in, right? It all goes back to intention. Like that to me could be a pause. If you have a really productive 15 minutes, it's an intentional shift in behavior. You're not always like that. You're not typically like crushing it in 15 minute chunks, but you set that up for yourself and you, you know, who knows what could happen. I think that's pretty exciting. What other kind of actionable tips um, from the book or or elsewhere do you think um, you could share with the listeners? Yeah. So there's lots and lots of practical tips in the book itself, but the ones that I think I'll just name. So I mentioned daily pauses already, and there's many things that you can do for yourself that work here. So the idea is to break your day up and maybe every 90 minutes or so at the most, you, uh, you would get up and move around and, and, and again, it's an intentional shift in behavior. So a belly breath pause literally one breath. And if you want to do this with me, mm. we can take a hand and put it, put it on your abdomen yep. and just take one breath, inhaling through your nose and exhaling through your nose. Take your hand away. 
And listeners, I hope you did that too. And so to me, that's a conscious breath. That's a pause. Mm. Um, you could build up to 10 breaths for that. You could, don't have to leave your desk. You could, you can, you can walk to the elevator. If you're in the elevator is a really good one. Mm. Uh, there's also one that I really like, and I know it's audio, so you won't see this, but if you hold up a hand, like your palm of your hand about, uh, like a, like what, like six inches from your face, like 20 centimeters or something, uh, and just notice it. So take in, I'm doing this right now. And if you want to do it with me, just take in the color you see and just notice the texture, the, the feel the air that you feel around it. And you could even just take a inhale and blow gently on the palm of your hand. So you feel like a warm breeze on your palm (laughs) and go ahead and take your hand, put it down. Does that feel different? It does. Yeah, it really does. Isn't that crazy? That's Mm. a micro pause from my colleague, Dr. David King Keller. He wrote a PhD on pausing. It's just totally a prop in my book. But (laughs) what's going on there is you're basically distracting yourself from your overwhelm thinking, uh, like brain, and you're going into your sensory perception, your prefrontal cortex, and your breath is signaling responses, like wondering what that is. And there's a curiosity. And so you're just evoking this whole other thought pattern, which is taking you out of what you were in. And to me, that is crazy good and super secretly awesome as like a, you know, in the back of your pocket, quick pause, you could always do and you could do one hand, you could do two hands. But that takes maybe 30 seconds. Yeah, that's right. So simple. And I I think Um, with mindfulness is this, um, often people are sort of fearful to get into it because they think it's this big practice that's going to they're going to have to take on and you know spend huge amounts of their time learning how to meditate or or whatever it might be but yeah something as simple as literally looking at your hand for a minute and just and just taking that time to breathe yeah exactly and and mindfulness can mean many things meditation is attention training so Mm. that's when you sit and have like a really disciplined practice but you can do different types of meditation walking meditation Mm. which is really just noticing all those senses how your feet feel on the ground how does the air feel on your face or your hands and another one that i uh i really like is just self-awareness pausing so if you're doing something else because let's face it we don't have extra time sometimes Mm. to do sitting for 10 minutes or let alone one And so if you're doing something already, maybe you're cooking or brushing your teeth, like just mindfully like noticing the smells and the, how the bristles feel on your teeth or all of those things, uh, they're wonderful times to pause and they bring the same sensations that we just went through with the hand or the belly breath. And they're so powerful. They're free. You can do them at any time in abundance, uh, but they're possible and they're right at our fingertips, literally. Even typing, I find, you know, you can just, it's just becoming conscious of it, right? And then sort of paying that extra attention to to the sensation and, and you know, actually being aware of what's happening as opposed to just, just running. Yeah. And, and we are on autopilot. Mm. Let's face it. Our, our systems and humans have evolved from thousands of years to really just go through our day in autopilot, meaning we don't really give a lot of thought to our breath or what we notice as colors. We might, you know, if we're really feeling that sensations, but but that's just how we're wired. So it takes real effort to change it. And that's the discipline and that's this noticing. And that's where we have to train ourselves and it's all doable. That's the really cool part. It's super 
skill building possibilities. And this is emotional intelligence. You are building your self-awareness every time you do it. You're, you're like going to the EI gym and lifting your muscles, building your muscles. But if you don't practice it, it won't get any better. And there will be no more shifts because you're kind of in that autopilot zone. So it takes lifting your head up, kind of seeing through the trees, literally, and, and trying something different. And that's the hard part because it's not that easy. And it's usually really new for most of us. And it does get easier over time, just like anything. It does. It does take some discipline or intent, as as you would say. Mm-hmm. And I actually, uh, I have a podcast as well, and I, I hosted Dr. Amishi Ja, who's a yeah. neuroscientist, a couple episodes ago, and she was she does so much research from the um, University of Miami. But what she was talking about, uh, she does studies on military personnel and all kinds of really cool neuroscience stuff. And uh, what what she was saying was. Uh, when we're when we're on autopilot, like we just don't know, we just don't have any sense of of what we're doing, and and it just over time takes that effort, and it's almost like when we were first learning that exercise was useful for us in the ni- early 1900s, where people thought going to the gym was like a little scary, and yeah. the women would never do that, and so there was this hesitancy, and like maybe some people tried it, but you don't really go all the time, and like look at us now, 100 years later, it's 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 a regimen, it's we know it improves our health, and she's basically making the analogy that that is super similar in the world of mindful mindfulness. We're just starting. We're like in the ni- early 1900s, just mm. like it was for physical exercise. And they're only starting to get the proof and the, the documentation and the studies that are coming out about how it's helpful. But I thought that was a really great analogy because it made me it think about it in a way where I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. And no wonder no one knows what they're doing. And no wonder we don't really think and trust what we're doing with it and why we think it's hard. Like, it's just new really is a, I mean, for us in the Western world, I know yeah. it's not new for cultures that have done it for thousands of years, but the science is new overall. It's a social uh, norm thing as well. I actually, I wrote about this recently, but um, like I kind of just when I finished high school sort of got into a, a bit of you know, meditation and was interested in Buddhism and, you know, I dabbled around with it. But, you know, back then I, I would have felt embarrassed telling anybody, you know, like I was sort of sitting in the room with a locked door practicing because it was, you know, just kind of a, a weird thing to do, but it is becoming more and more, I think, I think, from in the from the Western world's perception, anyway, as the sort of the science becomes more illuminated and people can see and actually can see the benefits, and people like yourself are out there actually saying, actually, you know, these these practices and are actually going to make an impact on your life. That it's actually becoming more normal. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of finding what works for you. So yeah. it doesn't mean you have to have a sitting practice for whatever amount of time, like. The idea is to try stuff and see what works. So you might be having a daily pause where you notice your three mindful bites before, during every meal. It might be brushing your teeth and noticing the fuzzy bubbles or the hand pause. But the idea is that you're just increasing your awareness. And what happens and uh, is we, we don't increase our awareness to increase our awareness or to meditate to be better meditators, as Sharon Salzberg says. Uh, we are doing it so that we can feel better. Like we feel more resilient. Mm. We increase our capacity to take on more or to, uh, uh, like change things that might be adverse challenges in our, in our mindset. And, and all of that is the point of all of this. It's not just to like create the skill so that we can breathe better. You know, like yeah, that's, it's, right. that's nice. It's a great benefit, but, uh, that's the name it's, of the it's game. Not a, it's not about, it's not about winning. Have you come across um, the Mindful Strategist, Justine Bloom's um, book before? I don't know it offhand, it's, no. It's, it's, it's new. So she, um, 
I, th- I think her background's in, in marketing. She's from Sydney originally. I think she works for VaynerMedia now, but she's put out this book called The Mindful Strategist. So it's essentially, I mean, it's, and it's kind of geared towards, I suppose, people in the creative industries. It's, it's like a, a daily journal where it gives you sort of one, yeah. one thing a day. So it might be, yeah, like, you know, go outside and, 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 and notice something and, and journal, journal it down. Or one thing I found particularly interesting, it was, you know, pick once a day a piece of media that you're consuming so youtube video podcast book and just and just write a little so it's just getting you to stop and pause and actually you know write down some details of things which you you know you often don't do yeah Yeah, it's really good i'll send you a link to it it's a it's a it's a great concept should probably be interesting to chat to on your podcast yeah and one uh thank you i would love that Mm. i i I really want to check out her her work uh and something i was just reminded of recently is like writing and journaling are great pauses too. <clears throat> and I got an idea yesterday from a friend of mine who literally just did a little drawing with what he thought his dream life would be like. And it was like stick okay. figures and the house he wanted that could jump the fence and go for a run. But it made me think about it. And and now I want to do that. But what a great way to pause. Why yeah. Why would I not want to live a dream that I could create for myself and maybe I can't get all of it, but if I don't write it down or pause to even think about it, how will I know? That's just a nice thing to sort of have manifested there on paper, right? That you can look back on. I was like, I want to do that. That sounds so <laughs> cool. And yeah. And, and then sure enough, he's living it. Apparently that's what he told me. So I was excited for him. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to draw a really nice boat. Um, <laughs> tell me a bit, yeah. bit about the um, pause challenge that you're running on Facebook. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of getting community involved with learning skills for productivity. And to me, pausing is a conduit to that. So it's not just about refreshing and renewal. That's great. But what if you could pause to be more productive? Mm. And that is the key to this three-day Facebook challenge. So you can join us. Anyone can join. It's free, but it will be on my Facebook group. And, uh, the link is basically, uh, bit.ly slash pause challenge. And you can go just register. We start April 10th, uh, through the 12th, 2019. So we are a couple weeks out, actually a little less than two. And the idea is we're going to have three days. Each day is going to be a theme, but we're going to learn some key emotional intelligence skills that you can just start to implement immediately about where you can start naming primary emotions and like we can talk more about that of course for like much more time but we don't have that um but i hope we get some folks joining i would love to have everyone there and again it's free and i hope it's going to be an hour a day on the facebook live and so you'll be able to answer questions and talk to me and hopefully just have a good time and learn some stuff awesome we'll send that that link out i'm going to join up so uh be interesting to see thank you i'm excited and um, you, you also have um, shared another link with us, um, Blueprint. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So I have a free gift for listeners, and it's the three keys to turn overwhelm into thriving Blueprint. And really, it's a it's a PDF. Again, it's another free gift. If you go to my website, rachelomera.com slash blueprint, one word, you can download it. And it, it talks about burnout. It's got uh, the ways to name primary emotions and notice what you're yearning for. And like, it's, it's just a helpful guide about 20 pages with pictures. So it's not a heavy read by any means, but you'll get a taste of some of the work that I do. And there's research in that as well, where I've um, been trying to really plug a lot of like science-based research on all this. So it just makes it more interesting to try. Awesome. Thanks so much for that. We'll, um, we'll check that out as well and make sure to chuck it in the, in the show notes. Great. 
So the question I asked everybody that I spoke to at pause as, the, as a finish, what, what excites you about the future? Yeah. Oh, what a good question for me, more collaboration and co-creation. And it's not just like big silos of companies. Mm. <laughs> and that to me feels like a huge theme of, uh, of what PauseFest was, but the future, the future is, I, I just want to say us, the future is us. The future is me and you and all of us who are taking personal responsibility for how we show up in the world and doing things with it that really satisfy you and like really make your life worth living for. And we're all capable of it. It's just a matter of making those little mini steps that create the longer, bigger picture. So collaboration and personal responsibility and just hoping that we all can get there and, and create the world that we want to live in. And it's, and works it's, for all of it's, us. it's exciting. I think, you know, overwhelmingly people were, that I spoke to at pause were, you know, so excited and, and a lot of similar themes, right? Like this is, this is ours to grab and run and do what we want with. So let's, let's do some cool stuff. Yeah. And why not? Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't, who's like, this is what I think the, the younger generations are teaching me is like, who, like, who says I got to work at a big company yeah. and like churn out my 40 hours? Like, no, it doesn't need to be that way. So I'm thrilled that it's changing and I feel it. Like, I think it is changing. Or maybe Yay. maybe some of the listeners can uh, draw their uh, perfect life plan out for us and send it through on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, we can put a like a little <laughs> game together. Draw your life plan and post it on the show notes. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Sam. It was great to be on.